Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Happy Thanksgiving Eve. Happy Egg Bowl Eve. Wednesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippy. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Uh, if, if you've ever thought about buying a piece of recreational property, you know, whether it's 10 acres, 20 acres, 200 acres, and you just want a place to be able to hunt, fish a little bit, maybe just get away and kind of hang out, Mississippi Land Bank can help you with that. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years in North Mississippi. Give them a call or stop by one of their branch locations. They are scattered throughout North Mississippi. You can find all of that information online at mslandbank.com. Uh, basketball coming up this afternoon. Ole Miss is playing Penn State at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. That is a really, really cool arena. And um, that's coming up at uh, 5 o'clock Eastern, 4 o'clock Central time today. Uh, you've got Alabama in action at the Bad Boy Mowers Battle for Atlantis, 54-42. North Carolina leading Alabama with about 11 and a half minutes to play in the second half. Borky, what's up? If you think the arena is awesome in Brooklyn, you should yeah. see their practice facility. I saw the pictures yesterday. Holy cow! Looking out at the uh, across the uh, the river at the skyline in Manhattan, that's incredible. Yeah, it really is. Really, really cool. What do you think that that facility, that size in a high rise building in Brooklyn, is worth? A lot. <laughs> All of the real estate in New York City is high. And Brooklyn has gone kind of a renaissance over the last five to seven years. And, uh, I mean, it's not Manhattan, but uh, it's really, really expensive. But you got to remember, I, he, has he sold the team now? Because for the longest time, it was uh, Mikhail Prokhorov, the Russian billionaire oligarch that, uh, that owned the Brooklyn Nets. I, I don't think money was really that big of an issue for him. No, and James Dolan still owns the uh, the Knicks, so that's not going well. Yeah, like worst guy on the planet, right? Yeah, they're still kicking people out of games there for yelling sell the team at him. Yeah, well, I guess when you own the team, you've got the uh, right to do that. Hey, Dad, what's up on a Wednesday? Not a whole lot. Nice, beautiful day down here in Starkville, getting ready for uh, for tomorrow. The weather looks great for tomorrow. It's gotten a little bit yeah. cooler. The uh, the high for uh, high temperature in the forecast, I think, is like mid fifties now, and it's going to get down to the low forties overnight. So probably playing the game in the forties uh, for the most part tomorrow night. That's pretty good college football weather in November, especially with a no brisk, rain. A brisk fall evening. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Rippy, you made it to Jackson, so you're almost home, and then we'll make the uh, round trip tomorrow, I guess, to Starkville. How's your Wednesday? Not bad. I am home. Like I, I live here, or my parents live here. Well, that's true. I, I, but you're not like at home at home. You're at the studio. Yeah. Home's so. just down the road at the fine institution at Jackson Academy. There you go. There you go. Hey, hey, Dad, are, are you guys doing Thanksgiving Friday or Saturday? Oh, we're, we're just doing it on uh, on Thursday. We, we've got a, a tailgate set up for uh, in the junction. I was thinking you told me that you guys just kind of put it off, and then you did like a big we, we normally do. But the, the other weekend. couple, the other couple that we do that with, uh, with the the game being a week back from last year, this is their anniversary, so they're going out of town. So we didn't do that this year. I got you. So what's on the menu in the junction? Turkey, dressing, mac and cheese, sweet potatoes, all the the full Thanksgiving spread. A- am I wrong, or did you tell me that you are not a fan of dressing? I'm not a, a fan of dressing, but other people are. My wife makes. You eat a, a some of it, or like absolutely don't put it on your Thanksgiving I'll, plate. I might take a bite. Some of it. I know it's the anti cornbread thing, but it's not like dressing tastes like cornbread. I, I don't. I'm just. I'm just not a fan. Forky like dressing, mac and cheese. You? Yeah, there's not a thing that is served on Thanksgiving that I don't like. Cranberry sauce included. Yeah, I'll eat it. I mean, it's not like I I need it to be on the menu, but if it's there, I'll eat it. I will eat literally everything that is made. I'm one of those people. Two plates, three, whatever. Keep giving it to me. If you made it, I will eat it on Thanksgiving. No questions asked. All right. What about you, Rippy? Are you picky? No, not really. I'm not a big, like, green beans guy. I'm probably staying away from most veggies. Aside from that, I'm good. You don't like anything that's healthy, really, do you? That's one way to describe it. <laughs> I, but not not entirely accurate. But I'll eat most anything. Yeah. I'm with you. We, um, I haven't even asked about the menu. They just kind of take care of it. But uh, I do know we, we'll, we'll go the turkey and the ham route. And I'm pretty sure we'll have mashed potatoes. Although, for some reason, that seems to like be optional. I think mashed potatoes are on the menu. Um, I have not checked to see macaroni and cheese. There will be green beans and some sort of a salad and probably some corn and a sweet potato casserole. Some rolls? Oh, that just sounds good. Oh, speaking of food, first time for me today, hey, Dad. Finally tried it. What did you try? The uh, classic chicken sandwich from Popeye's. And? It's pretty darn good. It's good, yeah. Hey, hey, uh, Borky, have you had one yet? Yep, and I'm still going to be a Chick-fil-A homer. Are you? I mean, I'm not anti-Chick-fil-A by any stretch of the imagination. There's a little more going on there if you just, you know, order it off the menu because you get the mayonnaise, but it almost has like a, I don't want to say a tartar sauce flavor to it, but it's like a little bit more than just your basic mayonnaise and you get the pickles going and um, I thought it was good. To me, the difference was the chicken was a little crispier and I would give that high marks. Rippy, have you done the uh, chicken sandwich from Popeye's? No, I went back in, I guess it would have been August at this point, because I think it was right before Ole Miss played Memphis. I waited for like 25 minutes, and they were sold out once I got to the front of the line. So I remember you telling me about that. Yeah, it wasn't cool. But no, I have not done that since. Got a text message from a buddy. says, Gumbo 
is on the Thanksgiving menu. That's a fine All right, choice. so that's a so, really good choice. So question for you. Is there anything you do for Thanksgiving as part of your Thanksgiving meal or Thanksgiving tradition that is atypical, that is not the traditional turkey and or ham and dressing and green beans or green bean casserole and sweet potato casserole and mashed potatoes. Do you do anything that's a little out of the ordinary? So gumbo would be one of those. That's not typically on the Thanksgiving menu. Sometimes you have the Louisiana people that go with the turducken, which is the turkey stuffed with a duck stuffed with a chicken. Kurt and Tupelo says they do chicken and dumplings. Never thought of that before on Thanksgiving. Richard and Wiggins says that um, Haydad will be suffering on defeat tomorrow night. Ooh, shots fired. He also says oyster dressing, but that's common where he is in uh, in South Mississippi. Ceasefire text lines open, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395, Ceasefire customer inspired you know what else Anything? is common in south mississippi that i learned this week what's that french dressing on pizza what yeah and somebody uh on the coast will uh or can chime in and tell me that it's real yeah i learned that people in biloxi and around the gulf coast of mississippi you go to a pizza place down there and they will give you french dressing and that's like the only place in the country where you do that I'm not knocking it because I hadn't tried it, um, but that's a little odd to me. It sounds good to me. I'm willing to try anything, though, but yeah, I learned that this week. I mean, I've lived in Mississippi for a decade, had no idea, been to Biloxi many times, and had no idea that the Gulf Coast of Mississippi is where people put French dressing on their pizza. The more you know. We will spend plenty of time on the Egg Bowl this afternoon. We'll look at some keys to the matchup for both Ole Miss and Mississippi State. We'll talk a little bit more as we have some this week already about which coach, Joe Moorhead for Mississippi State or Matt Luke for Ole Miss, has got more on the line. Uh, Borky has come up with some prop bets. I don't know that you can find these at any sports book. I don't think you can go to the sports book at Timeout Lounge at uh, the Golden Mood and find uh, Borky's props, but... Um, I don't know. It's worth uh, worth checking on. Egg, Egg Bowl Bingo is back for round two, year two. Adam Rittenberg has used the term tenuous to describe Joe Moorhead's situation at Mississippi State. We'll get into that. Plus, college football poll came out last night, college football playoff poll. Jerry Jones just keeps on talking. A huge upset in college basketball last night. We'll look at the NFL slate that's coming up with three games tomorrow and a whole lot more. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Just getting started on this Wednesday afternoon, Thanksgiving Eve, Egg Bowl Eve, and the Renaissance Bank Studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. All right, so Michael Borky has already tagged Adam Amin, who is the play-by-play broadcaster for tomorrow night's Egg Bowl. That was actually, it was his doing, believe it or not. So uh, I tweeted looking for submissions last night, and he just uh, jumped into them. I don't know how he found it, but yeah, he uh, must have just been doing research and was on Twitter and 
uh, looked up Egg Bowl broadcast or something because he found me, which is kind of cool. Uh, he did respond uh, with regard to uh, bingo being a drinking game in which he said, oh, y'all are going to be drunk. <laughs> last so, last so, night he said he was going to comb this and see how many he can slip in during the game. There you go. So we're in trouble. Should have a 69 reference square. <laughs> you you should have just put nice in one of the in quotation marks in one of the squares. Maybe that's bonus points. Uh, so egg bowl broadcast bingo. Borky took submissions from you via Twitter, and I suppose via the ceasefire text line as well. And he came up with two boards, both boards with twenty five squares, as is the way with. Bingo. Board number one. Tudor gate suspensions. This would be B1. I'll, I'll work across the top and then down. Tudor gate suspensions. Throw out the record books. Sankey's AD meeting, a.k.a. the principal's office. Plumley and Ely also play baseball. That would be G4. Transfer portal. Line two. Dak, Tua, Saquon Barkley, any Manning, Rutgers. That line's going five for five. Yeah, it is. Line three. Immaculate deflection. Will they dig enough to get into a 1983 reference? Dan Mullen, absolutely. MSU's three first-round picks, absolutely. Hugh Freeze. His name come up tomorrow night? I think it might. It'll be something like, yeah, you'll get two and one because Matt Luke's Ole Miss legacy is on here, so you'll get... Matt Luke's been a lifelong Rebel, and he served on Hugh Freeze's staff. Boom, you'll get them both. That's what Matt happen. Luke in his third season expected to be back next year. Of course, he took over as an interim head coach, replacing Hugh Freeze. Oh yeah, no question. Good call. And then O uh, three bowl eligibility on the line. Line four video of last year's brawl. Brawl in quotes because you can't call that a brawl. Kerfluffle. Yeah. For the brand. What's what what am I missing on? That's that? a Pat McAfee thing. Oh. Okay. So if if any kicker does anything well, he will say the phrase for the brand. Does it on every broadcast. Okay. Matt Luke's Ole Miss Family Legacy, Ole Miss's APR score, a live look at the Egg Bowl trophy. Ooh. Line five, a misidentified RPO. This is my, that's my favorite submission. We got it last year too. You got to be on your on your football knowledge train and really know what you're looking for to uh, to get that one right. See, and the only one that would do that would be a mean because I and I just don't expect even though he was a punter, an NFL guy, and a Hasselbeck to get RPO wrong. So it would have to be a mean that just throws it out there that. Plumley on the RPO when it's really just not. Uh, unless 
unless they use it as a talking point and he decides to tee up Matt Hasselbeck, say, these are two teams where the RPO is a big part of the offense. You watch college football all the time and people misidentify the RPO. Take us inside exactly what the RPO is. Yep, there it is. Maybe. Any Cowbell mentioned first ever college football playoff ranking, angry Rich Rod, hot seat. Got a question about the angry Rich Rod. It has to be new. It cannot be an old video showing his passion. It's got to be during the game when they do the Rich Rod cam thing. Can't be an 100%. old one. 100%. 100% you get that. He'll get mad at something. He'll spike his headset. He'll hit the desk. He'll throw his hands up in the air and lean back in his chair. You'll get it. All right, so that's card number one. Card number two. The Little Dewey. What is that? A restaurant the, uh, in Starkville. Barbecue yeah. restaurant in Starkville. Something like B-roll of people in there eating, or there will be a mention. If Kirk Herbstreet was doing this game, there is a 100% chance there would be a mention. Same with the local spray tan place. Uh, quote, heated rivalry? Schrader's beard, saddle miss fan, Matt Luke looking at the scoreboard. I have it on good authority that there will not be a Rich Rod cam. You know, CBS that well CBS that did that early in the year, um, in the Alabama game, wasn't it Alabama? Yeah, because that was the only CBS game this year for Ole Miss. And they very much exploited what they had promised they would or would not do. Oh, I see. So if you get a shot of Rich Rod frustrated or angry in the booth, it will not be on a GoPro camera or something like that that is mounted in the coach's booth. It will be with a different camera from inside the stadium who is focused on that in particular. That's kind of lame, though, because, I mean, I guess people like to make fun of it, but I kind of like seeing a coach get mad in the booth. You certainly see the passion come through. Yeah, because we had somebody weeks ago say on the Sunday show that Rich Rodriguez had mailed it in. And I said, you watch those videos? and you think that's a guy that doesn't care about what's going on on the field, you're crazy. Um, Benito Jones's farm. Oh, that's good. This is line two of card two. Will we see Matt Corral? In quotes. Kermit Davis's Mississippi State connection. That might be a little bit of a reach. Yeah, the card two is a little bit more difficult. That was uh, okay. the the less obvious of the submissions. A mention of DK Metcalf celebration two years ago in Starkville. Quarterback rushing numbers. Mention of the Saints Falcon game. Plumley playing the piano. Absolutely, hundred percent. Shot of Duty Noble Field. Little B-roll action coming back from a break. Oh, you know, they love their baseball around here. Yeah, Mississippi State, I think, usually turns on the lights at the baseball stadium for the night games as well. 
Yeah, that that's showing up. Eating Thanksgiving food during the broadcast. A debate over particular Thanksgiving foods. Um, Ed Ogeron, the Junction, sad MSU fan. Bragging rights. Sneaky fast. Is that still a way that people describe John Rice Plumley? <laughs> you never know. That's a way to describe a quarterback like John Rice Plumley's football. Okay, speed. just say what you're not saying. You're, that's a way to describe a fast white quarterback. Well, and Tommy Stevens as well. I mean, Stevens can run, and so you might get that with him. Like he'll bust out a 20 yarder, and then, oh, you know, Tommy Stevens, sneaky fast, AKA he's a white guy. I actually tend to agree with it a little more about Tommy Stevens. Because he doesn't look like he should be fast, but boy can run. The distance between the two schools, maybe even with a map. Mississippi State women's basketball, a Jackie Sherrill reference, struggles passing or throwing the football, and perhaps video of a Bo Wallace fumble. Or the Bo Wallace fumble. That's pretty well done, Borky. Not bad. And uh, we had somebody ask us to attach a drinking game to it. Uh, All I can say is good luck and um, use not liquor if you're going to do it. (laughs) Go with Sprite. Yeah. (laughs) Or like one of those white claws. I don't know. Something light that that, that you'll survive. Rippy's shaking his head no. Those aren't light? Not light. Oh. Actually, the opposite. Oh. Well, Farm Bureau guest line coming up next. Luke Johnson will join us. We'll talk with him about a conversation we had yesterday a little bit. The Conference USA tiebreaker rule change. That's kind of a big story and certainly could have an effect on Southern Miss getting to or not getting to the Conference USA championship game. Of course, you got to win on the field also. More coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, maybe Brian Haydad. We're doing the whole squirrels in the phone line thing today. Hope it's not a sign of things to come in Starkville for the weekend that uh, that Haydad uh, can't get and stay connected. So we'll, uh, we'll hope for better uh, tomorrow. Luke Johnson joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Luke covers Southern Miss. He's the co-host of the Eagle Hour podcast on Super Talk Hattiesburg and Super Talk Laurel. First of all, Luke, before we get into the nitty-gritty, happy Thanksgiving, my friend. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Hope you guys have a great uh, day tomorrow celebrating with your families. I know you got to work a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, thankful uh, to know you guys and, and thankful uh, we get to talk once or twice a week. Absolutely. Certainly always uh, enjoy these conversations. So let's dive in. The news yesterday, and and I guess this is kind of going back uh, a couple of days, is about the changing of the tiebreaker scenario in order to get a team from the Conference USA Western Division to the championship game. And, And in a nutshell, before we kind of dive into the details... There is a scenario where if Southern Miss, UAB, and Louisiana Tech all win, all three of those teams would finish 6-2. and two. If all three of them were to lose this weekend, they would all finish 5-3. and three. As a result, you would go to the three-team tiebreaker rules, and none of the first seven would break the tie. 
or at least that's what we thought. The eighth tiebreaker, which was a bit of a strange one, was the team that least recently, the longest ago, played in the Conference USA Championship game shall be the representative. And that would have been good for Southern Miss. But then we got an amendment to that yesterday. They went back to number seven, which, as I understand it, Luke, was college football playoff rankings. And because none of the three teams would have been ranked in the final college football playoff poll, you go to number eight. But the ADs have decided to amend the language there and bring computer rankings in. Is that a fair summary? That's a that's a fair summary. And before we get into details, as a former football player, if you just win on Saturday, you don't have to deal with all this stuff. So you need to hear me loud and clear today. I'm Come not last Saturday. Yeah, last Saturday. Yeah, I'm not complaining that Southern Miss is you know getting boxed out, crying conspiracy stuff. It speaks to a general problem with Conference USA, you know, a lot larger. So uh, it is. Yeah, that that's a fair assessment so far. And then I can I can walk you through it, whatever you want to know. Well, okay, first of all, what I want to know is how do you, the week of the final game of the regular season, change the tiebreaker rules? You hear those crickets? Yes. That's that's what I feel, too. Um, apparently, what what happened, uh, We you, you reported yesterday at 134 on Monday, Patrick McGee got a confirmation uh, from Russ Anderson, who's the assistant commissioner over football and baseball for Conference USA, um, that all the tiebreakers were still in place, and that if, if there was a 6-2 and two or a 5-3 and three tie, Southern Miss would be there based off tiebreaker 8. Around 8 or 9 p.m. Monday night, apparently the Conference USA website had been changed. I emailed Russ Anderson yesterday and got a, the reply back that on Monday – Athletic directors clarified the two-team or multiple-team tie for division champion by adding, that's the key word, adding highest average computer ranking. So, yes, our last night, Jeremy McLean released uh, a, a public statement, and this fills in the blanks and shows you what happened. I was made aware of concerns regarding the CUSA division tiebreaker on Monday. While the adjustments are well-intentioned and reasonable, I expressed serious concerns over the timing of the changes on our conference call, and we were outvoted by the league membership. Then he went on to say he was all they could do was really help the student-athletes get ready for Saturday. So apparently on Monday afternoon there was a conference call um, that was initiated by the conference. Every athletic director in the conference was in on that call, and they had a vote to add this uh, clause in the seventh tiebreaker that in the event that there's no CFP rankings available for the teams or the teams aren't ranked, then they would move to an average of five or six power ranking polls. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's mysterious that the week uh, before the last weekend of, of regular season play, somebody didn't like the fact that Southern Miss would get in having lost to Louisiana Tech. That's the only assumption you can make. And so they hustle the athletic directors together. Jeremy McLean obviously – speaks against it, speaks against the timing against it, but he's outvoted. So it wasn't a unanimous vote by any means. It just reeks, it just reeks, reeks, reeks of shadiness. And no, somebody, uh, one of the no, athletic Luke, directors did get your your way. word is wrong. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. You said it's mysterious. It's not mysterious. It's Mickey Mouse. Now, the last time I used Mickey Mouse or Bush League or something like that, it was in reference to a play that uh, happened in a baseball game, and I got killed on it. But I'm telling you, 
This is absolute Mickey Mouse. This is stuff that you do when you're 13 years old and you're playing a game, a football game in the side yard or a basketball game, and somebody changes the rules during the middle of the game. Or you go, oh, redo, redo, and, and, and you, you play it over because you don't shoot free throws in the driveway. This is this is junior high stuff. If you don't like the rule, that's fine. Change it before next season. But as a conference, you've put the rule in place. You cannot change your tiebreaker scenario when you're staring at the possibility, maybe even a likely possibility, of a three-team tie six days before the final game of the regular season. Even if you want to do it in week two, if somebody's combing through the rule books and looks at this in week two and goes, look, guys, I know it's not likely that we get into a three-team tie scenario, and if we do, the likelihood of getting all the way to number eight on the tiebreaker is is not really likely either. But just for the sake of appearances, let's do it. And you do that back in mid-September? That's fine. You can't do that on November 20th or 21st or 22nd? It was, it was worse than that. Today's the 27th. It was the 25th they did that. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it's complete. It, it is. I, I called it dirtbag today on the Eagle Hour. Um, you know, so, but what can you do? That's the question I've been asking. Like, what's the recourse? There, there isn't any. We were supposed to have Russ Anderson on today, and again, not trying to throw him under the bus. He's just the mailman. Uh, but this is something that Judy McLeod at the top of Conference USA let go down. And, number one, I don't think a majority vote should take place. There should be a unanimous decision, and, and they, won't, you know, they won't let us know who voted for who voted against it. But to simply have a majority vote the Monday before all this gets settled out, this is stuff you do in the off season. And, uh, you know, I just echo everything you said. But regardless, the only way Southern Miss can get in uh, to the championship game is if Louisiana Tech loses at UTSA or Southern Miss beats FAU and causes – their power ranking, uh, their average to, to jump Louisiana Tech. I, I just wonder, Richard and Wiggins, and I'm not sure if he was entirely serious or not, he just said sue them. I mean, we, we just saw Memphis go to the, the drastic measure a few weeks ago of James Wiseman getting a temporary injunction. I just wonder if there's not a scenario where you could seek some sort of an injunction against the league for changing the rules in flight. This is, uh, if you go back in 2013, I think Marshall was supposed to host the conference championship, and something happened at the last second to prevent them from doing this. So it's happened one time before. And I'm just to be honest, everything that, that me and, and other people have reached out to the conference, there's zero transparency, there's zero accountability. And anybody that's been associated with Conference USA over the last, you know, few years would, would say this is par for the course, but it's, it's worse than, you know, it's, it's just, it's over the top. And so, I just wish that uh, you know there was something the university could do, play it under protest or, or whatever. But it, it's not going to happen, as far as, as everything today says. With all of that said, there is a game on Saturday against FAU, and that's by no means a slam dunk that it's a win in the first place. I mean, th- th- this could all be moot, but you can't make this decision on the chance that it's a moot point. How big a deal is uh, is this game on Saturday? Uh, FAU's won their last eight out of nine. They're they're smoking. I mean, uh, they played arguably the best game that anybody's played against Ohio State this year. Uh, the good news for Southern Miss fans: Jack Abraham went down late on uh, Saturday against Western Kentucky. 
He's looked good in practice. He's supposed to be back. Looks like they're going to get Jalen Adams back. There's going to be some key defensive injuries. Rakeem Booth's not going to play. And it's just tough to win in Boca. And FAU's playing not only to win the East, they're playing for the right to host the championship. So they're not looking past Southern Miss at all. It's going to be a tough, tough uh, thing on Saturday. I guess probably the best scenario the Eagles can hope for is that maybe they get in a, a shootout with FAU and, and uh, you know, able to pull out at the end. But, yeah, it, we, we talked about how Southern Miss's toughest two games may be these last two on the schedule, and it will. Yeah. Jeff on the ceasefire text line says, Time for Southern Miss to join the Sunbelt Conference. Maybe so. Maybe so. Uh, real quick, Eagles down in Atlantis play Gonzaga tonight on ESPNU at 6 p.m. Uh, at, at tomorrow, if uh, they'll either play Oregon or Seton Hall. So, good experience. Probably get clobbered, but a good experience for the Golden Eagles down there. Yeah, no question. It's uh, it's a really, really cool event. Thanks, Luke. Hope you and your family have a great Thanksgiving tomorrow. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. See you later. Sports Talk Mississippi. Luke Johnson joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. We're back after this. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Wednesday afternoon on the eve of the Egg Bowl and a Thanksgiving day. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Scott Rippey. Think we've got Brian Haydad back. You there, Haydad? This is all a giant Ole Miss conspiracy, wasn't it? Uh, you're in Starkville, buddy. I'm just saying, y'all somehow figured it out. I see what's going on here. No, yes, it appears you, I'm you, back. Good. That's good. You, you're in Starkville, buddy. It's a you problem. Hey, I'm just... <laughs> it's a you problem. Back. Uh, My family on Thanksgiving makes kibbe. It's a Lebanese uh, meat patty. Yeah. And that's very untraditional, good. but that's what my... I was getting ready to talk about it, and then whatever happened, happened. That was 45 minutes ago, but it's okay. Happy to... I know, Somebody... but I wanted to get that in. Somebody sent us a, uh, a text message earlier that said they do a whole hog every year. Man, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, did you guys hear that, uh, you know, the, the lottery stuff started in Mississippi this week and that on the uh, yeah. first day that lottery scratch off tickets were available, the state, um, kind of across all of its retailers did like two and a half million in sales. That's a lot of scratch off tickets Not in one day. Not to interrupt, but some basketball breaking news. Luis Rodriguez suffered a foot injury and shoot around this morning and will miss six to eight weeks. He has surgery on Sunday. Yeah, I was just about to mention that, so I'm glad you did. Um, that's suboptimal? I mean, yeah, not ideal, but obviously probably not devastating either with Blake Kenson back. I think if Saturday's game, I guess I wasn't on the show to talk about it, but I'd mentioned on the podcast, Saturday's game proved anything. They need... Blake Henson, Buffett, and C on the floor at the same time, so as opposed to this small ball. So, I mean, they have someone to replace him with at the three in Henson, but definitely not ideal for depth. Rippy, how much of a drop-off is there when C comes out of the game and Sammy Hunter goes in? I mean, Sammy Hunter did fine in most of in, I thought in stretches in that Memphis game. It was more so when he went out and you kind of had the small ball lineup Kermit talked about. It seemed like they struggled particularly there. Hunter wasn't nearly as good as C, but I didn't think he fared terribly. But again, very small sample size so far. Yeah. Ole Miss uh, about five or ten minutes away from tip-off against Penn State at uh, Barclays Center, part of the NIT Hall of Fame tip-off. And I mentioned earlier that's a good arena. 
I, I don't. I can't remember if I've ever told this story before or not. If I can't remember, maybe you can't either. You can confirm the Barclays Center is nice. It's really nice, but I was going to give you one of the features of the Barclays Center. So, I was with Ole Miss on that trip. It was the uh, well, well I, I lose track of the year. I guess it was probably twenty twelve or thirteen. It was the year that Bo Wallace had the fumble in the end zone. Hey, Dad. 13. What year was that? 13. 2013. So that was a Thanksgiving night game, and we got on a plane and flew to New York the next morning, and taking the bus to the arena from the hotel, not terribly far, stuck in you know Brooklyn traffic, New York City traffic, so you get, instead of walking or whatever, we get on the bus. And we go to the side street, so so the the right side of the arena, like if you're looking at the main entrance, and you pull up and there's this big garage door. Okay, nothing out of the ordinary. So you pull straight in, and then the driver turns the bus off. I was like, "Eh, okay. Garage door goes down, and you have now entered not into a loading dock, but into a bus-slash-18-wheeler-sized elevator. There are two of these. Door closes behind the bus, engine off because obviously carbon monoxide or whatever, goes down to the lower level, and a garage door opens in the front. Bus pulls straight in. You're now underground at floor level in the arena. Bus pulls straight ahead off the elevator. They let everybody get off the bus. And then you start looking around, and there are these slots, like eight or ten of them. And they're basically the size of either an 18-wheeler or of a, a a passenger bus, so 40 or 50 feet deep. And the bus is parked in the middle of a big turntable. Think massive record player that a bus can sit on. And the turntable then spins and lines up with one of the slots, and then they crank the bus back, and the bus driver backs the bus into a slot, and that's how you save space in a big city. Is that not awesome? And to think somebody sat down and like drew all of that up just with their head and came up with that on their own. And then when it's time to go at the end of the game... You pull out of the slot, back onto the turntable, everybody loads onto the bus, the turntable spins, puts you in front of one of the elevators, you go straight into the elevator, door closes, lift takes you up to street level, and boom, you pull back out on the street. Coolest like coolest engineering thing I've ever seen. Oh Miss would have just added a roundabout. <laughs> well played. Well played. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Hour in the books on this Wednesday afternoon. we got a bunch to get to in the uh, next couple of hours. Glad to have you along for the ride in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Wednesday afternoon with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Rolling into the 4 o'clock hour. And happy to have Ross Dellinger join us from Sports Illustrated on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Ross, uh, lots of times you write things and they make me reflect or they make me uh, think. I did not anticipating reading the name Ruben Mendoza. That's a name that I've not thought of in quite some time as it (laughs) pertains to Ole Miss. What's up, man? Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) 
Happy Thanksgiving to you guys. Uh, yeah, Ruben, that, so that story was from last year, and um, it ran around this time last year right before the Egg Bowl. And uh, I was on, yeah, I had an interview with David Cutcliffe for that story, and he mentioned this tale about, you know, staging the death uh, at Ole Miss practice of a Mississippi State fan, and, and he said Ruben Mendoza was um, in charge of it all. And so I ended up tracking him down, and it – it's a really great kind of cool story about, um, you know, the way Ole Miss and Mississippi State coaches, you know, fire up their teams the week of the Egg Bowl. You know, it's uh, uh, obviously there's some there's wild stories in there, and that's that's one of them. Yeah, Ruben Mendoza was the the strength coach. He was a mountain of a man, if I remember correctly. Left Ole Miss to go to Notre Dame to be the uh, strength coach there, and he was one of those guys that never ever ever wore long sleeves or a jacket or anything else on the sideline. He was just a, you know, a tight golf shirt, that's it. And wouldn't let any of his staff do it either. Hmm. That's funny. Those strength coaches uh, yeah, are uh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're an interesting crazy, crew. Man. Yeah. Um off the wall a little bit. What's going on at Rutgers now? So Greg Schiano is out and now there's a story floating around that maybe that's not dead after all. Yeah, I'm seeing that basically like you are. You know, the, the tweets coming in from uh, NJ.com up there, the local uh, outlet that covers Rutgers, talking about uh, how, uh, and you, you know, when I was reading the last couple of days after news had broke that this uh, deal had fell, fall through, fell through um, there, was, uh, there was enough stuff out there, whether it be from media or fans or whatever, there was just, it was a lot of... Um, a lot of anger. And it was enough anger where I remember yesterday thinking, I wonder if they'll go back and call him to come back in. There was so much frustration with how it went down. And lo and behold, that's what looked like is happening, is that they've reignited talks with them, seeing the reaction like it is. And also, who who else are you going to get to go to Rutgers? You know, um, you got a coach who's a proven track record there and at other places to an extent. Um, he's probably the best option because there aren't a lot of coaches that want to go coach there, you know? Do you buy in at all to any of the Joe Moorhead rumors with regard to that job? Just kind of because he's from that part of the country and is coached in that part of the country? You know, I never really did. Um because I've always thought it was Greg Schiano. You know, I just always, that that was, for me, and the stuff that I heard was kind of uh, all Greg Schiano. So I never really bought the Moorhead stuff, man. Um, I mean, I, I think a lot of people didn't buy it because they couldn't see an SEC coach, you know, leaving for Rutgers. Um, but I didn't buy it because I just thought it was Schiano's job the whole way for the last couple months even before the season i think that was where it was heading um so i i you know I, I didn't put much stock into that ross dellinger from sports illustrated on your radio it, it it certainly has been an interesting year in starkville and you know whether it's cultural fit or results on the field or, or what it has been a little uncomfortable for mississippi state and mississippi state fans and, and joe moorhead Really since last year, maybe midway through the year, when, when things were not going the way that people had hoped they would and the transition was not as seamless, 
we've talked a good bit about it this week, and we we all kind of think that Joe Moorhead is back next year, but it's like nobody's completely certain about that. I know you cover college football all over the country. Are, are people talking about this nationally? No, uh, that that is the thing is that it hasn't reached that level. Um, uh, I, I'll I'll just be you know be honest with you. You know I've I've spent at least some of my day, um, you know, making calls about this issue just because it, you know, I just kind of heard just because being from that area and all that going to school there, I've, I've heard some of the rumblings and things, Yeah, but like on a national level, you don't, you don't hear much about it at all. Um, but it does seem like, you know, there's, there's some, there's some loud things going on there and, you just brought up that, you know, the story, the Egg Bowl story uh, with the Ruben, Ruben Mendoza. And a big part of that story is, and I think there's a quote in that story, um, about how many coaches the Egg Bowl has fired. And it is, it's a lot. And I, I remember back-to-back, it, 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 the game firing back-to-back coaches, you know, in 2007 with Ed Orgeron, and then 2008 with, with Sylvester Kroom. Um that game fires coaches just about as much as any other, you know, game in college football. And I think tomorrow night um, that game is very important for uh, the coaches involved, um, you know. And, and I know that – I don't know if Ole Miss has actually come out and said it, but it seems to be a sense up there that Matt Luke will be back and all – but that yeah, you know that have. hasn't necessarily been the case with with Joe. And that game has a reputation, man. Uh, that will be a big game for Mississippi State. What, what do you make of the matchup? I mean, we're, we're talking about two pretty average teams this year. I mean, Ole Miss four and seven coming in, Mississippi State five and six coming in. Neither of them has a win that you can really hang your hat on uh, at, at any point this season. The wins have come against teams that they were significantly better than. Yeah, I uh, and, and because of their record, I'll have, I'll have to admit I haven't watched a ton of them. I watched Mississippi State <laughs> a little bit in the opener. <laughs> I watched Mississippi State in the opener a little much. I watched Ole Miss against LSU a little bit. Um, I just have watched bits and pieces through the season, but it it sure kind of has that feeling of um, of a toss up game. But you got an Ole Miss team that has, seems to have found a uh, a, a quarterback. In a little bit of a rhythm offensively, and uh, you give Rich Rod an athletic running quarterback, and look out. I mean, because he's he's proven through his his career that he excels with that. And what it looks like with this Plumlee clear that they've got that. And uh, it seems like going in this game, you know, Ole Miss has the the momentum. And I think if it were to be played in Oxford. I think a lot of people would probably pick the Rebels. Um, but you got a night game on Thanksgiving in in Starkville, and I'm just wondering, you know, how home crowd will, will affect things. But it, it does feel like kind of a, a toss-up game against two very average middling teams. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm, visiting for a couple of more minutes with Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated. New college football playoff rankings come out last night. Um, we, we did this a couple of weeks ago and, and kind of said, hey, here's what's going to happen. LSU is going to stay put at number one for a couple of weeks. 
and then Ohio State's going to beat Penn State, and that's going to be a good enough win to bump them. My question and, and my, my prediction at the time was that's going to last until LSU beats Georgia in the SEC championship game. But Ohio State's going to have another data point as well against a top 15 team, whether it's you know Minnesota or Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game. Is LSU going to get back to number one, or are they stuck in the number two spot until the playoff is announced? Well, I, I'll tell you this. Even before this past weekend, so before these games, these past games, which Arkansas, which uh, LSU beat Arkansas and um, Ohio State beat Penn State, there were people at LSU I was just talk, speaking with who very much expected on Selection Sunday for them to be the two seed, for Ohio State to jump because Ohio State had had three games against top 15 teams, one again the top 10, and LSU had left one game against a top 25 team. It is a top five team, but just one. And yeah. by the end of it, on Selection Sunday, they LSU people at LSU expected to be number two. They didn't expect to be number two this week. And to me, that tells me they're probably going to stay at number two. Um, I just, even with the win over Georgia, I guess you you have to kind of, now I think you have to take into effect that um, uh, eye test stuff. Because I think that's the only way LSU jumps. Um, If if, uh, Ohio State doesn't look great, Again, in the next two games, they win maybe, uh, maybe they win by a field goal against Michigan, and, and you know don't score much or something, and and maybe they beat you know Wisconsin or Minnesota in the Big Ten championship by you know seven or ten points, and it's a sloppy game. And if LSU rolls A and M and beats handedly a Georgia team on a neutral field, maybe you see the swap. But outside of that, I, I, I don't know if it's going to switch back. Interesting stuff. Ross, have a happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us this afternoon. All right, Richard, no problem. Bye-bye. That's Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated, one of the best in the business. Does a great job covering college football. We're back with you after this in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Tuesday on the island, not much going on. The parties are all over. The end it just passed on. The jungle drums with the tales from late last night, the story's very Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Uh, about 11 minutes to go in the first half, and it has been all Penn State 22-8 to leading over Ole Miss, and the Rebels have looked really sloppy early in the game. I don't have the box score up, but I'm going to say Ole Miss has got Six or seven turnovers in the first nine minutes of the game. It has not been impressive. Long way to go, so we'll see how it turns out. But not a good start for Ole Miss in the Big Apple at uh, Barclays Center there in Brooklyn. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. You want to be a part of the show? You can do so on the C Spire text line. 601-879-4395. I'd forgotten all about the uh, the mannequin story. H- had you heard that before, Hey Dad? I, I, not until I read that story last year from Ross. I had not, not heard it. So, so if if you didn't read the story last year at Sports Illustrated, so David Cutcliffe's running a practice. 
He's got Ruben Mendoza watching out for, quote, spies, you know, any prying eyes. They, they see somebody on the top row of the football stadium looking over into the practice field. They send Mendoza up there to get it. There's a, a, a fake tussle up in the stadium, and he yells down, it's a state fan? What do you want me to do with him? Cutcliffe yells out, just throw him over the ledge. And Mendoza takes what was a mannequin and just heaves it over the ledge down into the parking lot below. It shatters. It was uh, tense there for a moment. Jackie Sherrill had some moments. Say what? Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's hilarious, the uh, the story. I mean, this is what we're talking about. Let's, let's, Let's try to enjoy it a little bit. No, I'm uh, I'm with you. Let's um, we'll we'll make our picks for the the Egg Bowl tomorrow. But some keys to the game, things that stand out for you. This isn't necessarily Borky's two questions. Just when you look at the matchup, what what are you looking for tomorrow? What do you think will be the difference one way or the other? Borky, why don't you lead us off? So some some thoughts on Mississippi State that you think are key. Yeah, here's three of them. Get off to a strong start. Part of it is because under Jim Moorhead, they just they really haven't, especially in conference play. It's just kind of their identity is getting off to slow starts and in important games, and I don't think they can afford to do it in this one because of the way Ole Miss tries to run the football. You can't get behind in a game where your opponent is trying to shrink it. So key number one is let, like starting the game without a delay of game penalty in your opening drive. Or turning the football over in the opening drive. Have a clean start to the game because if not, getting in a hole against that old Miss team, you're probably losing the football game. Okay. Number two would be... Uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, that's fine. Keep going. Uh, two would be Tommy Stevens needs to have a big day through the air because uh, you've seen a few times this year that as great as Kylan Hill is, and, and he's great, uh, teams have been able to key at stopping the run and beating Mississippi State doing it. Uh, there's multiple games this year where he's really struggled to get any kind of production on the ground, and Mississippi State's quarterbacks, one or the other, haven't been able to seal the deal. So Ole Miss is going to try to sell out and stop the run, and if they have success doing it, you can beat them through the air. So Tommy Stevens has to, and your receivers have to catch the dang football too, but Tommy Stevens has to have a big day through the air because I don't think Kylan Hill's winning this game all by himself. I think I concur on that. What about you, hey, Dad? Borky's points are all very, very good. No question about that. Um, I hear a butt coming. I, I, I'm, I'm, well, I don't know if a butt's the right word, but I, what I would add, I guess I would say, is it's not just Stevens having a big day through the air. His receivers have got to start helping him out. We've, we've talked a lot about Stephen Gidry. Osiris Mitchell started off the year on a, a really – Good streak, but he is—he has been slowed down an incredible amount. I remember, you know, back during the summer when Moorhead had us in for that that coaching clinic, and he 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 had read a poll I had done on Twitter. Said I asked if State would have a 500-yard receiver. He guaranteed that would happen. Well, Osiris Mitchell needs about 130 yards to get there, so that's—I don't know that that's going to happen uh, for him. So the the receivers have got to play well. It's not just on Stevens. Um, and 500 and then, yards is not a crazy big number. No, that's not that's not a, a, a big number. But this will be if if he doesn't get there, it'll be three straight years. It'll, the last time State had an over five hundred yard receiver was Fred Ross in twenty sixteen. Um, defensively for State, Did he go for a thousand that year. I, I think 
go back and look. He he, had, he he was not the leading receiver. I think Evan Ingram that year had more yards receiving, but Ross had more catches. I, I think yeah. I, I don't remember the, the yardage number there. Um, defensively for State, uh, there's sort of an idea that I, I think Plumlee is going to get yardage, so it's it's limiting Ely, uh, Coop. I'm sorry, uh, Connor and uh, and Phillips. If you can limit those guys, and you know, it's it's just a one man show. I don't think Plumlee can beat State by himself. He needs help to do that. Because uh, you know, I, I, the com- comparison I would make to Nick Fitzgerald in the uh, 2016 Egg Bowl. Yeah, he had a huge day running the ball, but Aris Williams rushed for almost 200 yards as well. You know, so can State avoid that? If they do, that's going to go a long way in helping their chances to win. Rippy, flip it over to the kind of the Ole Miss side. Um, I know you've mentioned throughout the week and probably will when we get to Borky's keys or the, the Borky's two questions tomorrow, the, the need to get off to a fast start for Ole Miss. But but take it beyond that. What what are some keys for Ole Miss tomorrow? Not let Colin Hill really get going and kill you because I don't think State is good enough in the passing game to beat, you by, beat Ole Miss by itself. Even Ole Miss' secondary has been better since they started some of the younger guys. What, about that four-game mark after Chase Garbers looked like uh, Joe Burrow? They started playing more younger guys, and about three games into that, you started seeing signs of improvement. But, like, I mean, I was looking at it earlier today. Hill has 150 yards rushing against uh, the something called Abilene Christian, Arkansas, <laughs> and ULL. <laughs> and so other than that, like— I mean, he's he's been good, and I think he's a talented back. I think he's had, a, from what I've seen, had all kinds of offensive line issues. He hasn't really gone crazy against anyone with a pulse. So if you can keep him in the one twenty-five-ish yard range, you know, around three, four yards, of, you know, in between three and a half, four yards of carry, then I think Ole Miss will have a good shot because I, I don't think State's passing game will be good enough to beat Ole Miss on its own. Kylan Hill for the year, sitting on 1,215 yards, 5.8 yards per carry. He's got 10 touchdowns, uh, has started all 11 games for Mississippi State. And, and hey, Dad, he's been banged up some throughout the year, but nothing that has caused him to miss a game. Right, right. Just just some, some bumps and bruises here and there. Had a rough stretch in the middle of the year. Auburn, um, Auburn Tennessee, LSU, where I don't think he combined for 120 yards in those games total. Uh, but really snapped out of it. Had a big game against Texas A&M. Had a huge game against Arkansas. Alabama was able to limit him. And then, like like Borky mentioned, I'm sorry, as Rippy mentioned, he had the, the big game last week against Abilene Christian. So, you know, he started off really hot. He had a, a slowdown in the middle of the season. But these last four games, he's been pretty good. Speaking From of Kylan Hill, we, we got the the news. I think we've kind of seen all the nominees for the Connerly Trophy Award. And for Ole Miss, it's John Rice Plumley. For Mississippi State, it's Kylan Hill. And for Southern Miss, it's Jack Abraham. And we'll talk about all of those guys next week, um, maybe Friday, but certainly Monday and, and Tuesday when uh, Sports Talk is live at the Connerly Trophy presentation at uh, the Country Club of Jackson. So which of those three has the upper hand in that award? And and does the outcome of, of Thursday night's game, tomorrow night's game in the Egg Bowl, does that factor into who gets it? Well, you know that it does. I mean, it has past few years. You know, the, the Egg Bowl's played a big role in it. But that said, this seems like a year where Jack Abraham, where the USM guy, could jump up and get it. If they had won last week, if USM had beaten Western Kentucky, I might be willing to say he's the favorite. 
You got a lean, Rippy? As far as who wins it? Yeah. Probably Jack Abraham, right? Maybe so. I, mean, I was going to pull his numbers up. They've been good this season. Let's see. Southern Miss football stats. I think, hey, Dad, your point about if they had won last week, putting themselves in a, in a position to win the conference, or you know, at least to get to the Conference USA Championship game, uh, maybe the, the argument is even better. On the ground, uh, a net of 102 yards, so obviously that's not his game. Uh, it's through the air. 233 of 343, that's 68%. Pretty good. touchdowns, 11 interceptions, 3,147 yards passing. It may be enough. I mean, the Plumlee argument is that he's going to run for 1,000 yards in what, basically seven and a quarter games? Yes, but, and would be the first Ole Miss quarterback in history to rush for 1,000 yards in a season. But not really uh, Jack just Abraham, one. by the way, redshirt junior, so he's got one year left. Penn State leading by 15 over Ole Miss, 29-14, with seven minutes to play in the first half in Brooklyn. We're back after this in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Ceasefire text lines open 601-879-4395. Don't forget, Black Friday savings continue at Ceasefire. You can save big money on lots of the products that they offer, including up to $100 off an iPhone watch. Check out ceasefire.com or visit a local Ceasefire store for more details. All right, Borky, we're going to play a little game. We're going to let you be the bookmaker. You get to be the house. You don't get to keep any of the money, but you at least get to set the lines. And for our purposes here, we're talking prop bets. You get to make prop bets for the Egg Bowl, and then uh, you can take our wagers. So fire away. If I don't get to keep the money, my Venmo is open. Just Michael Borky, and you can send me some money if you'd like. Um <laughs> It worked for the guy in uh, Iowa. Why yeah, apparently so. Um, even though then some newspaper found his yeah, old uh, you, tweets. Yeah, you, you don't want people digging through your old tweets. Yeah, probably not. Um, more rushing yards in the game. Plumlee or Kylan Hill? Ooh. And if I came down and told you that one had more than the other, would that, in your mind, determine the outcome of the game? So there's the prop and then the question. Who? More rushing yards, Kylan Hill or John Rice Plumley? Kylan Hill. Hey, Dad? I would say Plumley. And to answer Borky's second question, uh, it just depends on the number. I mean, if you tell me that. Plumley had 137 and Kylan had 125. That doesn't really tell me anything. But if Plumley has 206, Ole Miss won. Well, okay, what if, let's play it one other way. What if Plumley has 75 and State Kylan wins. Hill has I'm, I'm, 40? Oh well, the game see? ended three to nothing. Well, then, then, then my my prediction of a high scoring game probably went out the window. Out the window. But if you've limited Plumley that much. If you limit Plumlee that much, I don't think he's getting it back in the passing game. State probably won that game. Yeah, but you're discounting the possibility of 
Ely and Well, that's the thing. We don't know also. the other stuff. You know, Ely could have had yeah. 175 yards, but Tommy Stevens yeah. could have thrown for 300 yards. We don't know. Just on those two numbers, though. Wait, there are some things we do know that are not likely. Well, yeah. Um, what do you think, Rippy? Kylan Hill or J- uh, John Rice Plumley? More rushing yards. Uh, it's probably actually pretty comparable, but I guess slightly Plumley. But also, you got to think this is like asking, like who's scoring more points in an NBA game, James Harden or anyone else? Like it's it's a usage rate thing, and I think Plumley, particularly with you having to at least like Kylan Hill's not pulling up and throwing the ball. At least I wouldn't think. I guess he could throw two touchdowns. Now that I said that. But, like, I think there's probably more room for Plumlee to break more big runs, and I think he's more of a – I know they use Colin Hill a lot, but I think Ole Miss has used Plumlee and leaned on Plumlee a lot more than State has, and that may be some of State's problem. He may not touch it enough, but I think it's probably Plumlee. Borky, can I jump into the house instead of ask a prop question real quick? Go for it. More carries in the game, Kylan Hill or John Rice Plumlee? Plumlee. Hill. If it's not Hill, Mississippi State's got a problem. What do you think the right number of rush attempts for Kylan Hill is? And that is that's asking a question with with no idea what the flow of the game is. I understand, but just in a kind of like u- utopia world going in, what's the number of carries that you feel good about for Kylan Hill? Twenty to twenty-five. Okay. I was wondering if 25 was the number. Why not 30? Yeah. Uh, because Stevens will get some carries in there and uh they'll throw the, and State will just State will at least attempt to throw the ball more. Isn't the other kid pretty good too, Gibson? Gibson is a is a quality back, but I don't see him getting more than 5 or 6 carries. Plumley in the 7 games he's played has gone over 20 carries or 7 and a half, I guess, whatever. Not not counting Cal cuz he played two drives over 20 carries four times. I imagine Hill's gone over 20 carries in just about every game he's played. Well, now you're going to make me look it up. All right, Borky, while he's looking that up, give me another prop. Will Mississippi State have a penalty on their opening offensive drive? I would refinance my mortgage to put (laughs) yes on that. Will Mississippi State have a penalty before their opening drive begins? Oh, there's always special teams. Those have not gone well. No, no, th- no. I mean, like a delay a game before their first offensive ah. snap. We've seen that this year, right? That has happened. Yeah. How You're does right. that work? Kylan Hill has gone over 20 carries uh, in five games this year. Oh wow! Really? Don't you think that's an yeah, issue? 27 against Louisiana. 27 against Louisiana. 24 against Kansas State. 26 against Kentucky. 21 against uh, Texas A&M, 21 against Arkansas. Coincidentally, five of those games are his 100-yard games. Is that a schematic flaw or an injury thing? I think it's – well, I mean, the Tennessee game, he only had 11 carries, but he only had 13 yards. They really bottled him up that day. I I think, you know, the Auburn game, State fell behind so early they had to throw. Same with sort of LSU. Uh, Alabama, sort of the same thing. And then last week against Abilene Christian, I mean, just they took him out of the game. In a normal game, he would have been over 20 carries easily. I'll go yes, penalty on the opening drive. How many three and outs does Ole Miss have? That's probably largely where the game's decided. Yeah, you you could be right about that. The ability to sustain drives. Yeah, just not go three and out in, you know, 36 seconds and leave your defense on the field 39 minutes. 
All right, Borky, hit us with another one. Over under 15 thrown passes from John Rice Plumley. Over. Not by a lot, but by a little. I'll say he's on, in the 17 to 21 pass attempts range. Under. Under 15. Okay. I think under 15 and Ole Miss wins. Over 15 it looks good for State. Uh, I would say over. I love this next one, Borky. Which team will have true wide receivers catch more passes? Like number of wide receivers, because it's probably state or just wide receivers in general just catching passes. Because Ole Miss throws throws footballs to one wide receiver. The amount of receptions by any wide receiver total. So we're just talking about total number of receptions, yes. not guys catching it. Right. Oh. That's a good question. I don't know enough about state as far as that to... They have go back the drops. to the Arkansas game, which was State's last decent passing game. Uh, state receivers caught one, four, five, six, seven, seven passes out of uh, 13 completions. I think Elijah Moore could have five or six catches. I would say yeah. Ole Miss. I, I mean, I, I could envision like an 18 for 32 night passing for Tommy Stevens. I don't know if that's good enough to win or not. I don't know what those passes look like. I don't know how many of them are to Farad Green, how many times they hit Hill or Gibson out of the backfield. Yeah. Um. But but I could see a 12 to 14 catch night for Mississippi State wide receivers. So probably more wide receiver receptions for Mississippi State. What's next? Will there be a missed field goal? Oh. Has a cat got climbing? One hundred percent. How about how many? That's gonna happen. Yeah. One and a half. That'll happen. Over on. You know Christmas been Christmas been good for state. I know that Logan has had trouble for Ole Miss from what I've I've read and seen, so That's a true statement. One and a half? So two misses? Yeah, put me in for the over. Over. How many of the misses make you wonder if he knew where the goalpost was? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Either way. Let me see. Just trying to get Chrisman's numbers here. Chrisman on the year is 8 of 10. So. Will there be more? an ejection for unsportsmanlike conduct? And not the two penalties, like... What happened with Willie Gay where he took his helmet off and that got him ejected? Not something stupid like that. I'm talking, will there be an ejection because of an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty one player against his opponent type thing? Got to be careful in case the whole team gets one, like last year. Who is the guy well, that... Yeah, but he's saying, he's saying not the two unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. He's saying, will somebody throw a punch... Or do or or you know, do something that no. gets you talk, talk about a, a a referee's mother or daughter no. and and get to go take a shower early. I say no. Cam Dancer's still around, right? Yeah. If there is a fight, he might want to run like into the tunnel in the sidelines because if there was a close thing to an innocent man in that thing last year, it was him, and he somehow got tossed. Do y'all remember this? Yeah, you're right. I don't understand. Yeah. I still don't understand that. They, they they should have tossed Jamal Peters, not Cam Dantzler. Yeah, he he got a raw deal on that one.
All right, I got a yes or no for you. Will the two teams be issued team-wide unsportsmanlike conduct penalties prior to kickoff? Oh. I'm going to say no. Which which basically means is there a pregame fight? Or dust I don't up. think there'll be a fight. There'll be some some there'll be some chit chat, but there won't be a fight. Pretty good prop bets, Borky. I like those. You're welcome. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Penn State leading Ole Miss 43-27 inside 20 seconds to play in the first half. Last of hour number two on this Wednesday afternoon on the eve of the Egg Bowl and the eve of Thanksgiving. Glad to have you along. Did you guys see that uh, there's a chance that they're not going to have the uh, balloons um, for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade tomorrow because of the threat of high winds in New York City? Oh, that sucks. That's a bummer, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to eat tomorrow. Watching Snoopy drag a bunch of volunteers down New York City streets would be hilarious to me, though. <laughs> or if one of those things just got loose and started wreaking havoc. <laughs> Jeez. I got a buddy that's up there with his family uh, right now. They're planning, they, they've actually got seats for Macy's tomorrow, and uh, it'd be a bummer for them. Although I think they've seen it before. So Question What is the appeal of standing in the freezing cold to watch that? Tradition. Okay, that, Kid, that's a that's that's a bad answer. Kids like it. There's your answer. Parades are fun. Yeah, but most parades are in the spring. It's for the kids, man. That that's um, what it is. <laughs> what do you mean most parades are in the spring? At Mardi Gras, maybe most Saint parades Patrick's are in Day? Christmas. Uh, Christmas Christmas parade, parades. Yeah. What's the famed Christmas parade? Every city on There's planet. One. Every city in America. America. Has one. I'm just saying, standing out in the cold watching that doesn't seem nearly as enjoyable as catching beads in comfortable weather with, like, a cooler or something. You can't really bring your kids to that parade, though. I mean, you could, but they'd see some things. My kids love Christmas, the Christmas parade. Okay, that's I, a better answer than tradition, though. I was asking. I was just curious. Yeah. I don't know. They're, they're, they're random parades that are out there. You'll get, like, the random New Year's Day parade. And not just the Rose Parade. It's kind of a big deal. Would you go to the Rose Parade if you were attending the Rose Bowl, Rippy? Maybe. But isn't it usually pretty warm out there? Yes. Yes, Pasadena in January is usually nice. Borky, what are your son's thoughts on parades? Well, he had a his first real blowout while I was changing him, so his Ooh. thoughts don't matter to me right now. Won't be the last. Oh, buddy, it was yeah. the first one was a good one. It was like other side of the okay. room. We're, we're, yeah. we're good. We're, we're good. Go ahead, give us details. Spare no detail. This moment in sports history is brought to you by Acoustic Wave in Ridgeland. You can get wave therapy to treat many orthopedic conditions, including heel spurs, tennis elbow, golfer's elbow, shoulder tendonitis, and much more. No incisions, no scars, no downtime. Go back to work the very same day. You can contact Acoustic Wave by going to their website, AcousticWaveMS.com, or by giving them a call, 855-563-6100. That's 855-563-6100 for Acoustic Wave of Mississippi. Now, the biggest on this day in sports history for this particular day, 27 November, is Big Cat, Tiger Woods, 
and his, air quotes, car accident. But it's not Egg Bowl related. So a list of Egg Bowl results from November 27th. Nine times the Egg Bowl has been played on the 27th of November, most recently in 2010. It's a, uh, a day on the calendar that has been good to Ole Miss in this particular game. Rebels are 7-2 and two all-time against Mississippi State on this day. First time, 1930, in Starkville, 20 to nothing win. 1948 and 1954 were Ole Miss wins in Oxford. Now that 60- I'm thinking about this, by the way, they played some of these games in Jackson, so... Okay. So that just... I guess now indicates road team and home team. I completely forgot to account for that when I was compiling these together from Winsipedia. So, not mad at you. 1965 and 1969. Wait. Ole Miss won over Mississippi State. Is that like Whole Foods for Wikipedia? Because they have the series history on this too. Winsipedia is awesome. It is a website where you can take any two college football teams. I think they might do the NFL as well, but any two college football teams, and it'll compare their record, scoring margin, all these stats you can think of, and it'll give you a game-by-game breakdown of when and what the score was of every game they've ever played against each other. Wow. First Mississippi State win on this day, November 27th, came in 1993 in Starkville, 20-13. to Mississippi State a winner. Mm-hmm. Hey, Dad, that was the first game in the series that you saw in Starkville. Is that right? Not the first game in... Oh, yeah, in Starville. Yes, 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 correct. Yes. 2003 in Starkville. That was Eli Manning's final regular season game in the pouring down rain. Ole Miss won 31 to nothing. 2004 in Oxford, same day next year. Ole Miss won that game 20 to 3. And then 2010, most recently when Mississippi State and Ole Miss have played on November 27th, Bulldogs 31, Rebels 23. This moment in sports history brought to you by Acoustic Wave in Ridgeland. AcousticWaveMS.com or 855-563-6100. College Football Fix coming your way next in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Tomorrow afternoon, we will be with you for an hour and a half instead of the full three hours. Sports Talk will begin at 3 o'clock. And we will make our picks for the Egg Bowl. We will go through two questions, Borky's favorite segment of the week. We'll uh, go back, and uh, if you missed it yesterday, you'll have a chance to hear again from Deuce McAllister. You'll have a chance to hear from John Bond. Uh, Lee Sterling will join us. So all of that is coming up tomorrow afternoon from 3 until 4.30. That will lead you into... The Ole Miss pregame show on the Ole Miss Super Talk affiliates and into the Mississippi State pregame show on the Bulldogs radio affiliates on Super Talk Mississippi. So we are glad to have you along on this Wednesday afternoon final hour until we move on over and get ready for Thanksgiving. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippy Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. If you're a farmer in North Mississippi, let Mississippi Land Bank help you with the needs related to the farm, whether it's buying new equipment, refinancing an existing loan, getting your production loans, 
or maybe it's buying a new piece of property to uh, enlarge the size of the farm. All of that, you can find uh, out more information at Mississippi Land Bank's website. It's mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Ole Miss scored first in the second half, but Penn State's answered with a couple of buckets, and the Nittany Lions lead by 18 over Ole Miss. 17.55 to play at Barclays Center in New York. A terrible first half for Ole Miss offensively. Combined, Brian Tyree and Devontae Shuler had zero points in half number one. Tyree just scored his first points of the game with a, uh, a long jump shot to make it 47-31. Does that surprise you at all, Rippy? That uh, this game has been this lopsided? I mean, maybe the result in and of itself, but the way they got there, not really. I mean, that's the second game in a row. The backcourt's been kind of fast and loose with the ball, and they've struggled to score points the whole year. Yeah. Ole Miss has got to be better. I mean, they've got two veteran guards, one of which was preseason first team All-SEC. Devontae Shuler experienced now, and they've not been good so far this year. Shuler's pretty good in the first couple of games of the uh, year. Tyree, all in all, has not been very good this season, and if Ole Miss is going to do what they want to do this year from a wins standpoint, those two guys got to be a lot better. Yeah, I mean, definitely would agree with that, the level they're playing at right now. Not conducive to winning. I do think they missed that kind of uh, wing scorer, shot creator in Terrence Davis. and But, I mean, they've plenty of options to replace that scoring in different ways. They just haven't done it. Yeah, if you missed it earlier, Luis Rodriguez, a foot injury in Ole Miss's shoot-around yesterday at the uh, Nets team facility, uh, went to the hospital, and it was announced right before the game today that uh, he will be out for the next six to eight weeks, going to have surgery. Uh, it was a foot injury, I think, and uh, we'll have surgery and going to miss the next six to eight weeks for Ole Miss. So uh, certainly a rotation piece uh, will be out for Ole Miss for a while, and they were awfully excited about Luis Rodriguez coming into this season. We'll take a timeout. Uh, no, 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 no. We won't take a timeout. We will go right now to the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Black Friday savings at uh, Ford dealers all across Mississippi. Great deals on end-of-year models 2019. You can find some pretty significant savings, putting up to 20% off manufacturer's suggested retail prices so a chance to really save money you can start your search online at buyfordnow.com so hey dad we, we floated this question out and we've talked around it a little bit and maybe we've even answered it but i think it's worth one more visit and i think we can all kind of chime in on this the importance of this game for the head coaches who is this game more important for is it matt luke who is finishing his third season, second season as the full-time head coach, not the interim head coach, or is it Joe Moorhead finishing his second season at Mississippi State all in all? Well, considering that you know we've, we feel very confident that Matt Luke has, has gotten the security to get back next year, and I don't believe Joe Moorhead has that security with a, with a loss, I think it's, it's more important to Joe Moorhead if he wants to remain the head coach at Mississippi State. You know, interestingly enough, and, and I applaud this because there's no reason to do it, really. But John Cohen's been quiet. I mean, there there's not been a statement from John Cohen, a statement from Mark Keenum, the president at Mississippi State, about 
Joe Moorhead's future. And I don't think there is, at least not one that I've heard. I, I haven't missed that, have right. I? Hey, Dad. Well, I know that my podcast partner, Joel Coleman, has said he, on numerous occasions he has given an opportunity to Mississippi State officials to make some sort of statement regarding Joe Moorhead's future and has not done so. They have not done so. I, I applaud that. To me that to me is a sign that, well, that to me is a sign that there's, that he might not be back. Because if he was going to be back, don't you think they would take advantage of that and say, we're glad you asked. Joe Moorhead is our coach for the foreseeable future, blah, blah, blah. But the fact that they're not saying anything leads me to believe that there's a decision to be made based off the uh, the outcome of this game tomorrow. Maybe. I mean, you you may be absolutely right on that. But maybe they just subscribe to the theory that, look, that there's no reason for us to add to the difficulty of the job for Joe Moorhead. And I think that's all these statements do. Am I crazy for that? Um, I don't think you're crazy. I mean, and and for a, a lot of times they end up being disingenuous and and being outright lies, sometimes. But you know, I I, I do think that if they were serious about Joe Moorhead returning, that you would have heard something out of someone by now because there's no way they can ignore all of the smoke that's surrounding it. Rippy, there was no way for Keith Carter to avoid the question. It came at his introductory press conference about a week ago. And he was asked specifically. Now, Ole Miss had already kind of made it known that nothing was going to happen. But Keith Carter spoke in no uncertain terms to the fact that Matt Luke would be back again next year as the head coach. Was that a statement that was helpful to Matt Luke, or did it make a difference one way or the other? I don't know if it made a difference for one way or another, because there wasn't really a decision, much of a decision to be made, uh, I think, from a uh, financial standpoint, so I, I I don't think it did a ton. I guess it confirmed it. Yeah. Are you generally Borky pro or against the whole let's make a statement about the future of the football coach? Against. Look at what happened at South Carolina. Yeah, I mean, for, for Will Muschamp, that's been like the gift that keeps on giving. They had to release a statement to correct a statement that they made to correct their original statement. That is a real thing that happened. I'm not making that up. That's not hyperbole. They had to they had to issue a statement to correct a statement that was correcting their original statement. They had to do that. And so, and, and on top of that, the university was very frustrated last Saturday night during the South Carolina Texas A&M game. During the broadcast, they showed a portion of the statement that had been released by Ray Tanner, but it was not the statement in its entirety. And I think Jordan Rogers and Tom Hart and Cole Kublik talked pretty openly about it on the air and basically pointed out that this is doing Will Muschamp no favors. I, 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 I guess I understand why South Carolina would be frustrated with it. It's like, look, we put out an entire statement. And you kind of cherry picked what you wanted to use, but the the overarching point, especially coming from a couple of former players in in Cole and Jordan, was that they're hearing about this on the recruiting trail, and you've got an early signing day, and how how is this helpful? Right, and I, I kind of talk out of both sides of my mouth on this. I, I thought what Vanderbilt did 
uh, was a really good thing. It's just separate issues because Mississippi State doesn't have the same problem as Vanderbilt, so to speak. Vanderbilt basically said, our job sucks, and until we fix it, the next guy's going to lose. Well, in Mississippi State's case, the previous guy did not lose. So, I know it's talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I think Vanderbilt's situation is different than South Carolina, than Mississippi State, than Missouri, to where they had to issue a statement because their job is very different than the aforementioned other three. Yeah, I guess there's something uh, something to that. 17-point lead for Penn State, 52-35, 14 and a half minutes to play in Brooklyn. As a team, Penn State has 10 blocked shots. Maybe it's only nine. I, I guess they didn't give the guy a block a second ago. Their big guy down low has got seven blocks to go along with 16 points and 10 rebounds. Triple-double watch for Mike Watkins for Penn State. Six-foot, nine-inch forward. Sports Talk Mississippi, take a quick timeout. Be back with you. That was your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. What do you say we walk through some of the more memorable Egg Bowls through the years? We'll go into a little more detail on some of them than others. And... Hey, Dad, some of these you may want to jump in and weigh in on as well. I mean, Vorky, you and Rippy can as well. I just, hey, Dad's been to more of them, is all I was saying there. 1936. I'm old is what he's saying. Hey, Dad, what do you remember about the 1936 game? 1936, Mississippi State. My grandparents were married in 36. Yeah. They got their first win in the series after the creation of the Golden Egg, ending a 10 game unbeaten streak for Ole Miss. Won that game 26-6. to In 1964, Mississippi State won the game 20-17. to That snapped a 17-year unbeaten streak. 14-0-3 by Ole Miss against the Bulldogs. 1983, the immaculate deflection. Artie Crosby. What, what did... Uh, 27-yard game-winning field goal. A 40-mile-an-hour gusting wind suspended the ball inches from the uprights, after which it fell short of the goalpost, securing the victory for Ole Miss. And I thought it was really interesting what John Bond said to us about that game. He said he didn't watch, and then he watched because he heard the crowd get loud, and then they got quiet, and he thought, "Uh uh-oh, and looked up and said that he saw the ball going straight up into the air. Still remarkable. 1991 was the year that the series returned to campuses. First Egg Bowl played on either campus since 1972. First in Starkville since 1971. Jackie Sherrill's first season, 24-9. That was Mississippi State's first win over Ole Miss in Starkville since 1942. Do you remember that game? Hey, Dad. Yeah, I mean, I do, but not vividly. Sort of run together at this point. No, no, I understand. Yeah. Ninety-two was the stand. I, I went back and read the recap there, so. of this. We talked a little bit about the whole twelve plays inside the ten-yard line, but listen to how this unfolded. 
A defensive struggle that saw a combined 12 turnovers between the two teams. Mississippi State had 11 plays in two different possessions inside the 10-yard line within the last four minutes of the game. First possession ended on a third down pass that was intercepted in the end zone by Michael Lowry, who instead of downing it brought it out to the two. Two plays later, Ole Miss running back Corey Philpott fumbled the ball back to Mississippi State, Ole Miss's seventh turnover of the game. On the ensuing possession, State had fourth and goal. Pass was incomplete, but a pass interference gave Mississippi State the ball at the two. They ran three consecutive plays from the two, or started the possession started at the two. Three consecutive plays resulted in negative yardage, and then the fourth down pass fell incomplete with 20 seconds remaining. It sucked. 19. I'm sorry, go ahead. It sucked. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> 1998, Mississippi State with the win over Ole Miss clinched the SEC Western Division crown, sent the Bulldogs to the SEC Championship game for the only time in school history. It was a good game against Tennessee. It was also Tommy Tuberville's last game as the head coach of the Rebels. And you remember the year before was the two point conversion play with Ole Miss down 14 to 7, 212 to play. 64-yard drive, 10-yard touchdown pass, and then the two-point conversion completion to uh, Corey Peterson. 99. Why is this called the pick and the kick instead of the kick and the pick? Uh, Because there's the pick, and then the field goal is the kick. Okay, I was putting the kick and the pick in the same play. Right, right. There is a kick in the pick, but the, the kick is Scott Westerfield's field goal. It really could have been the the pick, the kick, and the kick, or something. The kick, like the pick, and the kick. Yes, and some people call it the catch, say. the pick, and the kick too, because they they, they put the CJ Simone's uh, catch in there as well. So that was nineteen ninety nine, down twenty to six in the fourth quarter. Mississippi State rallied late, twenty seconds left. Instead of kneeling on the ball and sending it to overtime, after Mississippi State had tied the game at twenty. Ole Miss decided to take a deep shot in their own territory. Romero Miller threw the pass that was deflected by the hands and then the foot of Robert Bean, Mississippi State's quarterback. And then Eugene Clinton came up with the interception, took it deep into Ole Miss territory. On the next play with eight seconds remaining, Scott Westerfield hit a 44-yard game-winning field goal, 23-20. Mississippi State won that game. When we had Deuce on yesterday... I really wanted to ask. I should have jumped in. And it was what, what? What were they thinking? Just go to overtime. State yeah. did not stop Deuce that entire game. They would. I think Ole Miss might have won in overtime. Two thousand three, in a torrential downpour, was Jackie Sherrill's final game. It was also Eli Manning's final game of the regular season. Ole Miss would go on to play in the Cotton Bowl that year. Uh, Ole Miss won that one thirty-one to nothing. Two thousand seven got Ed Ogeron fired. Rebels led 14 to nothing with eight minutes to play in the fourth quarter. Ed Ogeron elected to go for it on fourth down at the, at the Ole Miss 49. So on the minus side of the field. Ben Jarvis Green Ellis stopped for a loss on downs. Bulldogs drove in, scored a touchdown, got the momentum. And then you had the uh, punt return for touchdown in that game by Derek Pegues. Mm-hmm. Is that right? That is correct. And Mississippi State went on to kick a field goal and win it. 17-14. Mm-hmm. 
That was in 2007. That cost Ed Ogeron his job. 2008 cost Sylvester Croom his job. Houston Nuts' first Egg Bowl. Rebels avenged the 07 loss, winning 45 to nothing. And one of the how, how many sacks in that game? One of the By biggest wins. One of the biggest wins in MSU history, right there. <laughs> State really won big in that game. Uh, Would a different sacks, final gosh. score have kept his job? I've always wondered that, Richard. I've always wondered if if Houston Nut could go back in time and somehow win that game twenty one seventeen. Would it not have brought Dan Mullen to Mississippi State? I don't know. I bet I bet Houston Nutt would go back in time and try it though. Two thousand nine. Ole Miss coming off an upset win over LSU, eight and three, ranked twentieth in the country. Mississippi State was four and seven. They could not get to bowl eligibility. Anthony Dixon went for 133 yards a touchdown. Chris Relf ran it for 131 yards a touchdown. Had two touchdown passes in the game. Corey Broomfield had an interception late in the ball game in the fourth quarter that sealed it. Mississippi State with an upset win in 2009, 41-27. That State's real last upset win in this series, too, in my opinion. I mean, in, in 13 and in 16, Ole Miss was favored, but... It wasn't a huge mark. That 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 old Miss team had. I mean, they were what, eight and three coming in. They were looking to win their ninth game and, and maybe go to the Citrus Bowl. Had a lot of momentum, and and yeah. State just out of nowhere found some offense, and and Ole Miss couldn't stop it. Ended up going to the Cotton Bowl even after the loss, mm-hmm. and winning yeah. an ugly Cotton Bowl game over Oklahoma State. Twenty fourteen, huge playoff implications. Mississippi State came in 10 and 1 overall, 6 and 1 in conference play, ranked 4th in the college football playoff poll. A win for Mississippi State and a loss by Alabama in the Iron Bowl would have given the Bulldogs the SEC Western Division title and a berth in the championship game. Ole Miss was ranked 19th in the country. Uh only the 5th time in the history of the rivalry in the first since 1999 that both teams entered the bowl uh, the Egg Bowl ranked. CBS carried the game which is crazy that the Iron Bowl was not the CBS game. Yeah. And Ole Miss won that game 31-17. Jalen Walton had a career 148 yards rushing, including a 91-yard touchdown. And a little footnote, Ole Miss would later vacate the win due to NCAA violations. <laughs> it happens. It happens. Um. Obviously, 2017 was an upset win for Ole Miss. That was the injury uh, for Nick Fitzgerald. And then you had the fight last year, which was really the only notable thing beyond the 35-3 to win for Mississippi State. I've seen, I've seen three fights in that okay. game in my life. 97. Uh, 97 and then last year. Like, 90 was the fight. Well, I... Yeah, ninety was a ninety happened on a punt return. Somebody got a little chippy, and both both benches cleared. Ninety seven was the pregame fight, and then last year it was another mid game fight. Nineteen ninety. I talked to John Darnell about this earlier in the week. He was a graduate assistant, so he had graduated in eighty nine. And in nineteen ninety, you're right, punt return. Uh, I think Jay Hobson was involved in that in some form or fashion, and. That fight literally spread 80 yards, like one end of the yes. field to the other. 
John told me he was on a headset in the booth, and then they had coaches with headsets on the field, and they were literally saying, hey, hey, you got one breaking out at the 10 on the left side, and you'd see a coach run toward that one to try and break it up. And then at the 20 on the other end of the field. Crazy. Question on the ceasefire text line about whether or not the Egg Bowl run was happening this year. Uh, Rippy can attest to the fact that yes, indeed, as can I. We were going to Philadelphia on Monday separately, and uh, at different times, both of us got stuck behind the uh, police escort and a caravan of vehicles that was slowly following along behind the Army ROTC guys from Mississippi State who were running the ball from Calhoun City to Starkville, Ole Miss, because they hosted the game last year, had the ball, went from Oxford to Calhoun City. They hand it off there on the square. I've been to that a couple of times. It's a it's a neat little ceremony at the halfway point and uh, a really cool uh, thing that happens with the uh, Army ROTC programs from both Mississippi State and Ole Miss. We got a new college football playoff poll last night, and there's a little bit of movement. Ohio State jumps LSU to number one, as predicted here two weeks ago. LSU number two, Clemson three, so they stay put. Georgia at four stays put, then it's Alabama. Utah moves to number six after their win last week and Oregon's loss. Oregon took a tumble. They fell eight spots to number 14. Oklahoma's kind of sitting there at seven. Minnesota at eight, which is an okay spot for Minnesota because... Bottom line is Minnesota's got to beat Wisconsin this week, and then they got to beat Ohio State. And if they do that, do they play their way in to the playoff? Who would have a more impressive win that would get in over them? Nobody, right? Nobody. Yeah. Nah, and that's probably not going to happen, but if if they did happen to beat Wisconsin and Ohio State, there's nobody that would be remaining that would have a better claim to a win than them. Baylor jumped to number nine after their win over Texas. Yeah, that fired some people up because Minnesota barely moved up after they beat Penn State, and Baylor uh, makes a significant move after beating a bad Texas team. Yeah, but there was, there was kind of a ceiling, wasn't there, as to how how far... Minnesota could actually go kind of because of where they were? There was. There absolutely was. But that that and then Ohio State's jump were the big talking points yesterday. Is Baylor moving up high when Minnesota didn't? And uh, Ohio State not looking their best, even though they did beat Penn State, and jumping LSU. I do understand the Baylor jump, though, because they jumped over a bunch of two-loss teams. They jumped over Penn State, who picked up their second loss. They jumped Florida, who's got two losses. They jumped Wisconsin, who's got two losses. Michigan, who's got two losses. If only they hadn't blown a 28-3 to lead. Baylor? Yeah. I mean, Baylor oh, yeah. would be in the driver's seat for the playoff if they just... They probably would be at number six behind Alabama. Yep, and if they won the Big 12, they would jump Alabama. I agree with you. Highest-ranked group of five team is Memphis at number 18. Cincinnati is number 19. Those two teams will meet on Friday afternoon. you got Boise State at number 20. Just kind of hanging around. Hey, so so let's say that um, 
Do they have alligator blood? Maybe. What if Memphis and Cincinnati... What if Memphis wins against Cincinnati, but then Cincinnati turns around and beats Memphis, and Boise State just keeps on plugging along? Then they'll go. They could kind of swoop in and steal that group of five spot. Still think Appalachian State belongs ahead of all of them. They should form another committee and decide whose resume looks better based on this. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> what do you think? Going back to the top, though, what do you think about the jump? Is it the right move? Ohio State over LSU? I think, put on your tinfoil hat, I think they're trying to avoid an LSU-Alabama rematch in the playoff. Yeah, maybe. You, you might be right about that. But their justification for it does make sense. They said that Ohio State looks like a more complete team, and the metrics actually tell you that they are, and the strength of schedule is only 10 spots different. Whoa. Oh, my, guys. All of a sudden, Ole Miss has cut it to five. What, 66. Was it 19 at some point in the second half? They were down 21. Ooh. This is another 9 run. It was 14-point lead. It was 66-52. Yeah. It's now 66-61 with 4.08 to play, and Penn State just took a timeout. Tyree hit a three, and was that Bryce Williams that hit one also? Correct. Pretty good run for Ole Miss. I don't know if it'll be too little too late or not, but uh, pretty impressive turnaround here in the uh, the second half. Here I thought Rippy was saying whoa to the fact that uh, LSU and Ohio State's strength of schedule are basically equal. I did too for a second. Oh, no, no, I, I, I don't have any objection to that. Like, wow, he's really impressed by that stat. Wow. Um, you know the prediction I made, and, and I'm not. We we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I said that LSU was going to fall to number two after they beat Texas A and M, and Ohio State beat Penn State, and then when LSU beat Georgia in the SEC championship game, who was sitting at number four, LSU would jump back to number one. But some of what Rob Mullins, who's the committee selection committee chair, said last night, you know, they're they're looking at wins over other top twenty-five teams. And if you look at Ohio State, if they win out, they've got Michigan this week, who currently is number thirteen. Then they would play either Wisconsin or Minnesota in the uh, Big Ten championship game, which would be another top ten win. They've already got the win against. Uh, Penn State, they've already got a win against Wisconsin, so you're looking at four top 25 wins. I don't know that LSU is going to be able to jump them again. So I might be wrong on that front, but that's okay. Which is probably what we want, right? I mean, does anybody really want an LSU-Alabama rematch in the first round? Now look, if they both win their games, great. I'm fine with that because they would both deserve it, but I would much rather see... Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, Clemson, then LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson. I don't think Alabama's going to get the last spot. You think either Oklahoma... See, it doesn't sound like Utah would jump Alabama. It sounds like it's got to be Oklahoma or Baylor. Why? The way they've described it in the metrics and all that crap. Yeah, but they change it every week for whatever they decide to slot it as. Yeah, that's true. Would Utah jump Alabama, though? They would beat... They have to beat... Who are doesn't matter who they're playing this weekend. They have to beat Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. Oregon currently a top 15 team. Yes, I do think they would jump Alabama. My only question is, 
is there enough in that resume? That would be, what, two top 25 wins for Utah because they've got the win against Southern Cal, who is at... 22. 22. And they would have a win against Oregon, who currently is at 14. So, and Alabama would, what, have only one one top 25 win? Yep. And that would be against... That's assuming they beat Auburn. Which they're not going to do, says a stake. Yeah, that's what you guys keep telling yourselves. Understand. <laughs> three-point game in Brooklyn. Now 66-63 with a little over three and a half minutes to play. This has been a... How do you grade this college football season on the whole? Because we spent a lot of time talking about there not being any great matchups. And, you know, week after week, oh, it's a week schedule. We get, it doesn't feel like we've had just a ton of marquee games. Alabama-LSU was a lot of fun. Um, I guess Oklahoma-Baylor was fun. Minnesota's win over Penn State was fun. Penn State-Ohio State was okay last week. D-minus. You've got games against ranked teams being spread by three scores and being decided by three scores. Makes no sense. It has been lacking in drama. Now, if you're just a college football fan and you just love college football, it's fine because you love it and you'll consume it no matter what. But as far as things to look forward to, hadn't been a whole lot of that. We are looking toward what I think will be a fun playoff, though, right? I mean, let's just assume that you get LSU-Clemson in one of the semifinals. I mean, you want to talk about must-watch TV. You got it. Maybe a little less so if it's Ohio State-Utah. Yeah, but if you can somehow get Joe Burrow to play against his former team or Justin Fields to play against his former team or somehow Jalen Hurts to play against his former team, that's that's good stuff. Is best-case scenario for us just as football fans... LSU-Clemson with LSU winning and then getting LSU-Ohio State in the national championship game? Yep. Two electric offenses plus the storyline? Yeah. In New Orleans, no less? I want to see LSU-Clemson. For the title? uh, Yeah. Kind of like the idea of LSU against Ohio State. That could be a lot of fun. We will wrap.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.